Welcome to Thug Crowd Radio. Please listen to this important disclaimer in its entirety. All participants of this Thug Crowd Radio episode are characters. None of the stories told during these episodes are based on facts, truth, or reality. All works of fiction displayed during this episode that resemble real-life situations are coincidental and are not meant to serve as guides or tutorials to commit any crimes in any country. Please consult an attorney for local laws and regulations. And as always, trust your inner criminal. who are parents, how they uh, raise their kids, and how they kind of address the new concerns uh, regarding technology and kids um, that are rapidly getting more and more ridiculous. Um, so we have a lot of cool people that are going to be joining. Uh, I'm really excited for some of them to be coming on here. Um, and some of our, our regular pundits are going to be speaking as well about this. Um, so speaking of our regular pundits, we have up here Anonymous. Uh, a Trojan, uh, Cat in the Hack, aka, <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, it's Cat in the Hack on the stream. Uh, Decoded, Jin, Jonathan, Kindergip, uh, Lolcal, MG, uh, <laughs> Shell, uh, Faith, and Protoxin. So, welcome everybody. Thanks for joining. Good to be here. <laughs> Always a fun week, thugs in the house. And we nice thugs talking about being good parents. Great parents, thugs make great parents. So that's what we are aiming to do today, um, is to kind of share and impart wisdom. And yeah, so around 10.30, we're going to be starting our talk about that. Um, and we hope that if you guys know any parents, or if you are parents, tell them to come here and ask questions to us, because I really want to be able to have the people, to, or give people the opportunity to ask people who know uh, about the seedier sides of the internet, um, you know, what threats are actually out there, what's real, what's credible, and what they should actually be concerned about. So yeah, um, before we start our news, uh, I'd like to thank everybody who came out to our uh, movie premiere last uh, Friday. Um, all 20 or so of you, uh, it was a really interesting time. Uh, the movie studio kind of 
had a little gaffe and mix up in communication and we ended up getting about 200 tickets uh, 10 minutes before the movie started and we're struggling to uh, figure out who was actually there for the premiere but ultimately it was really fun load was there and was streaming you should uh, find his channel and uh, his stream with us because we uh, um, we were like basically he came out and he was pretending to be an infowars reporter he had like a press pass and everything and people were just talking to him in the street and ordering us food and a lot of people were playing with eggs in the street which was awesome too i'd like to just point out like uh if you do go looking for that be prepared for uh strong racist themes it's like it's r-rated just from the voice content like there's a lot of people i wanted to be like oh yeah check out our movie thing um there's a video of the dude out the front of the premiere but also don't watch it because you'll probably get offended yeah it's definitely really offensive but the content itself i mean the concept itself and the intent um of just being there to kind of look at the mayhem around a free movie premiere given to a hacker podcast it's definitely entertaining if you are up for the challenge of watching it but yeah um, it's it's hard Take take it for what it is. Like take it. Don't please don't be offended. It's hilarious. Um, and take it that way. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So thank you for everybody that did come out and did come hang and watch the movie. It was great. So you should check it out if you uh, want to watch a movie about the internet. So, um, with that being said, we should get right into the news because we have a bit of it, and I really want to talk about some of these funny things. So, the first one actually, I mentioned interested in, and I wanted to make sure MG heard about it too, because um, we talked about this before. So there was a, uh, uh, basically, people have been, or figured out ways to spoof GPS to send, like, basically ghost routes, like, uh, route, like routes for cars and vehicle, autonomous vehicles that look similar to the way that you would drive. They're not anything crazy, but they just add a little bit of their own turns to the, uh, the mix there. People were using the, uh, HackRF and a Raspberry Pi to basically uh, do some GPS spoofing and send information back to the car from the whatever hub they were using to control it and tell the car basically, here is where you are and here is where you're going to go. Yeah, it was interesting, like the distances, they have the stats they run, because you don't see things like this often, like used and tested in real life against real people. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the stats that they had about how far they could divert the average driver was uh, pretty interesting. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we've, we talked a little bit too about the dangers of these sort of things um, of autonomous vehicles and, and a lot of the stuff we had talked about before because they had talked about uh, neural networks being used to like parse actual road data uh, in real time. But this specifically targets the GPS system itself of the car, which the car isn't, you know, if you can tell the car that it's somewhere else, then that's where it'll make other decisions rather than trying to do some sort of um, like poisoning the neural network to give it some other data um, that's malicious and then try to control it that way. So I think this is definitely a more practical approach to controlling um, cars for sure. At at the same time, imagine, Contaminating one uh, in a fleet, I think you would kind of have a similar uh, direction of just contaminating the whole thing by steering one off. Yeah, I mean, when they have like cars, I mean, a lot of the use cases for these involve cars or trucks um, shipping cargo different places, and 
you know, they might have one master node, um, you know, lead truck. And if you can poison, like, the main hub of, you know, whatever truck is, is guiding the rest of them, um, then, yeah, definitely would poison a whole fleet of, of trucks, you know, direct, uh, you know, supplies to military bases the wrong way or whatever. It's definitely pretty scary. So there's also the, um, with fleet stuff as well, like the fleets that report their location back to base so that you, like, you can yeah. see in real time on a map where, you know, like Uber, for example, you see it, uh, where all the Uber cars are. Like you could definitely be like Uber car shows up in the wrong spot on that map as well. So there's other things. Um, but just one, I wanted to note, a te uh, one of the technical things that isn't mentioned in this article is that using a hack RF to do GPS spoofing um, isn't there's there's a the oscillator for the, the TXCO sucks and uh, if you come and find me at DefCon I'll give you a PCB where you can solder a better one on. Nice. Does it does the uh, hack RF still work well for GPS spoofing considering all the processing is done you know on, on whatever machine it's plugged into? Um, so the, like the timing is the most important thing, but it's like, uh, you, so you, you need to grab a whole bunch of data from, um, NASA. There's a NASA FTP for the current GPS, uh, for the GPS satellite coordinates. You grab yeah. that and you pre-process that first. And then, uh, uh, you just have to play it, play it. You basically are playing it back at the speed of USB two. So, well, I think less than the speed of USB two. So I assume yeah. that the Raspberry yeah. Pi can handle that. Okay. Um, yeah, it would be the pre-processing time, I guess, that the Raspberry Pi might take a little bit longer, um, but I don't see why it wouldn't be fine. Nice. So you're, you're not doing any on-the-fly calculation that gets uh, a lot of latency added back into the situation? Well, these guys might uh, be... The, the difference between this and the open-source stuff that's available is that um, the open-source stuff, you can only... I think it's a 30-second run. Okay. So... You, you pre-compute a 30-second run, and then you play it back. So these guys probably did a little bit more than that in order to redirect a car. Um, but we've seen similar things with, like, drones being redirected, like, like years ago. I'm sure they weren't using HackRFs, but, you know, same sort of concept. Nice. Yeah, no, definitely... In, oh, sorry, I was interrupting somebody. <laughs> oh, no, I was going to say, um, how did you overcome... Because I know... Uh, cat in the hack. You're talking about the signal strength of uh, GPS like satellites being so like terribly weak, as opposed to you know yep. having a hack art in the car. And how does one uh, kind of change that? Uh, so you can buy just like inline attenuators. That so I've got a set on my desk. Hold on, let me find it. Uh, and so they, I can't remember how much these were, but I got the whole set. There's like, uh, I don't know, negative 30 decibels, which is like a 50 ohm attenuator, negative 15, 10, 5, whatever. And so you can, uh, use like an Android phone with just like a GPS test utility. Um, like obviously I did all, all this in a Faraday cage, didn't break any laws, didn't, um, you know, I didn't broadcast publicly anywhere. Um, and yeah, you can you can then see like what does the signal out like what is the signal strength from a satellite in like high Earth orbit um, look like versus what am I putting out? And then you can yeah, which is actually why those VGA um, GPS uh, the the SDR transmit only things the VGA ones are really weak. 
that's one of the reasons they were good for GPS. I just thought the outs of really neat, like a safety measure to make sure someone wasn't shooting coordinates at you. Yeah, it is actually so. Um, those those spectrums are licensed, and well, in Australia definitely, and I'm sure in the US. So if you are gonna screw around with um, GPS again, build yourself a cheap Faraday cage, do it in that, and uh, reference our SDR episode for more information. <laughs> Hell yeah! Um, so moving on to the next one here, I thought this was interesting. Uh, when we talk about supply chain attacks, um, this year there's a Samsung service center in Italy, apparently, are being targeted with a malware campaign, or um, some bleeping computer, and I'll post this in the uh, chat here as well. Um, so yeah, basically, they there's malware being distributed to uh, Samsung service centers for like repairs um, of smartphones, and apparently the emails that were used to carry the malware were just using uh, that office equation editor form um, to run some arbitrary code and infect the users with malware. Um, and so, yeah, this is interesting because these are, this is like supply chain, but it's it's like aftermarket supply chain. It's like when you're getting your phone repaired, it's just an interesting uh, form of attack. Yeah, this is, uh, I, I assume their goal was to get the malware onto the machine of the people who are doing the repair, plugging, like, you know, connecting yeah. that Android device. But whether or not, the machine that they're checking their email on is like the workstation that is like, you know, I'm sure they have like a provisioning type thing they plug in and it auto flashes or something, right? That's, uh, they're not going to be sitting there typing commands in ADB one by one. I mean, one, one would assume, but I mean, you don't, I mean, I don't really know the details of how these service centers work because it could be something like an electronic store, like a big box store where you might take your phone in for a repair and, you know, they have to plug it in or something, you know. Um, I mean, I don't really know exactly what vector they're using, um, but I mean, it seems like they, if, you know, they're, they're installing RAS and stuff. It might be something that they they might know the, the specific the specifics of the protocol enough that this is what makes sense. Yeah, when you think about it, there's so many different like things you could attack in a place like that, right? They're obviously like company secrets, as always. Um, there's a high volume of devices that go through. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I think if there's, like, some guy, like, if you got some guy's uh, desktop that has, like, the scripts that he runs on, like, you know, it's a factory defaults and then install, you know, a set of APKs or something, like, that would definitely be effective for every device, like, well, a bunch of devices at least. Um, what's interesting, though, is I want to know how they discovered that this was the place to attack and... You know what? Like, like, did they send a phone in and see where it went? Like, what did? How did they get to the point where they went? We're going to attack, not just once, multiple times. They sent different, like, multiple different rats. So, yeah, and also to not just Italy but Russia as well. I forgot to say. Um, so yeah, I mean, there and this is it seems pretty sophisticated in that they use spear phishing emails that seem to be written in like by a native uh, speaker of both Italian and Russian, which is interesting because you know usually when you see some shit email I means crap email that is uh um you know trying to get you down something it's usually a lot of red flags in there in general so yeah interesting yeah that seems like a, a higher kind of level of attacker than you normally see 
I think an in, uh, another interesting, like just on the language thing as well as like we all speak English, uh, obviously in our Discord, um, but it's not everybody's first language. So like, I mean, you could probably find someone who speaks Italian as a first language or Russian as a first language pretty easily, like in you know around Fnet or whatever, who who would be interested in doing this kind of thing, um, whether or not they're like they don't need to be great attackers; they just need to speak the language and be interested in like doing bad things, right? For sure. Yeah. Um, another interesting one I just found here um, is called uh, this automated money laundering scheme that was found in uh, free-to-play games. And so this is something that, I, I mean, I would always assume that these weird apps that are expensive and, you know, like way too expensive, or they might just be complete scams in general, just the same as cam sites or any other sort of service where you could easily charge a lot and then pay yourself back in to launder money. Um, but some people had, some researchers had found through a uh, unsecured MongoDB database that there was just a giant automated money laundering uh, campaign that was uh, basically taking, um, there were people were using um, stolen credit cards and creating Apple accounts to buy their apps back and uh, launder money that way. Is this Eve online butterfly memed up JPEG? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this is, I mean, it's not anything that's too out of the ordinary, but I think it's interesting to see where they found it, um, which is through the unsecured MongoDB uh, database server that had apparently, I guess, credit card information and some other sort of examples of automated processing of these uh, stolen cards. So, yeah, I, I wonder if it was actually like code running in Mongo, like JavaScript within Mongo, or whether it was, uh, you know, a, a pattern that was discovered. Because, I mean, you could do it. You could probably do it just within Mongo. That'd be interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would like to see a little bit more about the saw the bleeding computer article, but potentially there. If we do find a write-up or anything, we'll be sure to include that in the show notes for this week. Um, but yeah, so that was interesting. Um, so this one is interesting too. Uh, this was some crabs. I just saw this earlier today um, about a bank that was breached twice in eight months, they got $2.4 million stolen from them, but they'd had a uh, specific types of insurance on different um, transactions that they had. So they had ones for debit cards and credit cards and loans and all that stuff. And so the, apparently the insurance company for this, like the cybersecurity insurance company to protect them from breaches um, isn't covering the money to recover the stolen funds from them, which is uh, <laughs> Sue. Um, so this is an interesting case here where there's, you know, there's they're trying to get money back, and, and usually, you know, banks rely on having this sort of insurance people to just pay back any sort of losses they might have from, you know, breaches and stolen cards and things like that. But this is interesting to see that they one didn't um, want to cover like the 2.4 million dollars in losses. But now they're suing them for it, and I wonder uh, how it's going to go. I think it's I the secondary. It. Oh, go ahead. I think the secondary breach is what really sets it apart. I mean, the first breach they were told uh, to implement velocity rules and some other things, and it, they didn't. And then mm -hmm. second time around, I think that's what's making the difference here. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, Either way, I mean, a lot of the times, a lot of these breaches that happen multiple times are also from, yeah, exactly what you're saying, people who 
get told, you know, they say, oh, we did a pen test for so PCI compliance or, or whatever, and then they get all these different remediation techniques. But in the process, you know, either they were somehow trying to figure out their remediation strategy or they just didn't. Um, but either way, they get hacked again, and it's just like, well, you, you knew what was happening, but you didn't fix it in time. And it's just uh, it's interesting to see how this is playing out, I guess, in terms of how companies are going to be forced to deal with issues like this. But they had insurance. Why would you have to improve security? That's what the insurance for. <laughs> <laughs> you want to talk about a money laundering scheme? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's put two and two together here. This is awesome. <laughs> um, I like, though, that the the actual network that they had access to, so that this particular bank uh, was apparently making transactions through the Star Network. Um, so they weren't, this is like other bank breaches we see, they go for um, for Swift. But I guess they've gone for Star this, this time. And if you like click on the link in the article to the Star Network, it says like the first thing is uh, our Star debit network gives cardholders safe access to their money virtually anytime and anywhere they want, AKA our Star Network gives Attackers safe access to someone else's money anytime, anywhere. Yeah, that's fun. That's hilarious. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting to see how these sort of like older systems and, and different segregated systems. Um, I mean, we're talking about the attacks on like the SWIFT network and things like that. Like these sort of things are you know created as a way for people to um, you know do secure transactions for critical things like credit card data um, and other banking stuff. But I mean, if they're vulnerable to attack or people aren't implementing them properly, it's just like, you're not, you know, it was made to be secure to, to do what you're doing. And if you're not implementing it correctly, then what are you doing, you know? Yeah, and you see that with anything that has like, this kind of unfettered backend access, right? <laughs> like, it's yeah. just, anytime you have a system that is so far reaching, um, and like requires is like created to require specific access. Uh, you're going to get problems like this. Yeah, and I think with uh, I'm not sure how old Star is, but with um, uh, Swift, it's it's you know quite old. So what security? The idea of security then is not the same idea of security now. So I think a lot like you know, and it's not an easy migration, isn't it? Like you can't just Flip, flip a switch on that stuff, you know, money will stop, people will lose money, and that's more important than security. But, you know, they're, they're two, two conflicting things. If money is more support, important than security, but security, like, you know, secures your money, what way do you go? Yeah. Well, definitely. I feel like there's just going to be continually more and more things like this until they're sort of, I don't know, I don't know who's not smart enough about it, but... Uh, definitely interested to see how the case plays out and what they get. Um, so this uh, next article here that we have is just something that you kind of expect to just happen, um, especially when you know we were a lot of uh, Shodan Safari people in here. Um, you know, so whenever we find any sort of IoT devices that are all over, um, you know, there's like you search some string that indicates that there's some sort of uh, unauthenticated login or something to some router or, you know, tea kettle or slow cooker or whatever IoT devices out there. Um, you know, and then you say, wow, they should really secure this because somebody might take over it. Well, there is a 
there's an article on Bleepy Computer that says that a malware out there builds an 18,000 strong botnet in one day. They use just one single exploit on um, Huawei routers, and they just scanned for the the vuln and just infected them, and then here we are. I believe this is a 2015 exploit as well. Yeah. Who? Yeah, the CVE was from 2015. Well, the CVE is from 2015, so it's probably older. Um, but I mean, like, what is, do we know what this port is? Uh, TCP 37215. I don't know. Um, I mean, it's probably some remote management port if they can just log in and do something. But I mean, there's tons of different IP devices that you just tell them that to a port. You just, uh, I don't know, look up, go Google what is the admin password for this or how do I set it up, and then. People just, uh, you know, can connect to it and boom, your admin. Then sometimes there's yeah. even, uh, oh, can I please have a shell command? And you just type, like, shell or whatever, and boom, you're in. Um, oh, you know what? I totally lied. The, this CV is, the CV used in this malware is from 2017. There's been previous, like, same uh, service, same port, um, has had previous uh, vulnerabilities. Yeah. yeah. Also in there it says, it plans to target CE 2014. <laughs> CB 2014 blank 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 uh, to exploit real tech routers. And it's like, boy oh boy, 2014. Like that's getting way yeah. back there now. Yeah, and I mean, what what sucks is a lot of this stuff. First off, I love the fact that the botnet author is also telling the plans of what to do or what he's going to do. Um, just like oh, and his name. Don't forget his name. Uh, yeah, his name is Anarchy. Uh, <laughs> wow, that's so cool. Yeah. Um, so Anarchy um, apparently is going to be targeting this, which, I mean, I, I don't know. If I was going to be making a botnet, I wouldn't reveal my plan. Uh, but if, I, if I could tell the future, I would say that uh, Anarchy is going to spend a few years in jail. Yeah. So also, if you guys uh, you know, want to set up any honeypots for, um, for a Huawei router and uh, open up uh, ports uh, 3715 and, oh, wait, no, it's... Um, 5280 or 896 or 869. Um, just open that port up and see what happens. Maybe you'll yep. find uh, your new friend Anarchy will uh, come in and uh, say hi to you. So yeah, um, <clears throat> but I mean it's interesting though because you you see this and you see you know go on Shodan sometimes and just see thousands, tens of thousands of IoT devices that are open or vulnerable to something and it's just like why? Please stop. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, the EU, uh, apparently Google is being or fined $5 billion for using Android to basically dominate internet search, which, I mean, I don't know. This one is interesting to me because they're getting fined for this, but Google owns Android. Google made Android. Google maintains Android. So why would you expect them to, like, put Yahoo or DuckDuckGo first or Bing, my favorite? Um, Ask Jeeves, which is actually ask.com, is Ask Jeeves. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they're, they're, they're basically, uh, the EU is trying to crack down on Google's anti-competitive search behavior. Uh, and basically, they're trying to give more of a market share to other search engines. And other I mean, like, there are so many Android phones. Android dominates a huge, significant chunk of the market. And... Google is just, you have to have a Gmail account to be, to have an Android device and you have to, you know, link that up to the Play Store and that's all part of their 
very uh, carefully crafted um, analytics and search engines and their own optimizations in the back end. So I don't know. I feel like this is uh, definitely kind of a weird thing, but also it's Google and they get fined $5 billion. Yeah, and you have to wonder about how much of this is just actually like ever going to go through, like how long will this stay in court? It seems like one of those things that's more of a warning kind of lawsuit where it'll be dismissed, uh, but you know, there'll be some sort of change. I can't imagine Google actually changing anything about their ecosystem. No, not at all. I, I, I'm, uh, I don't think like, lawsuits like this, I don't think they realize how much, like the difference in search engines basically. Like, it, I know DuckDuckGo is an option, um, and it's like the default option for Tor browser and stuff like that. Um, but a lot of these other search engines are just not like the Google search engine for searching shit is superior. Like you can't deny that, right? So yeah, thousand percent. And like a lot of stuff comes from. I mean, what that being said, a lot of it does come from them having such large market share. Like how they can do the uh, like how busy is this place now, right? Based on Android phone data and all this other stuff. Yeah, analytic Google Analytics, Google AdWords, like it all feeds into itself, of, of course. But I mean, it it yeah. provides you that when you when you type on your phone and you get every word misspelled, and then it says, "Did you mean this?" and gives you, and like the first hit anyway is exactly what you're looking for. Like that's pretty good. That's that's some good technology. Oh, yeah. I definitely, I definitely agree. I, like I said, I I think I'm happier using Google search than I would be using any other search just because of how well they do it. Um, but I guess we'll see what happens. Hey, Protoxin, uh, Mike check real quick, say hi. Protoxin, you're gonna have to change your settings. Um, yeah. So yeah, um, I don't know, this is definitely gonna be, oh, bye. Uh, this is gonna be interesting to, uh, see how this kind of plays out. Um, I mean, Google obviously is, you have a monopoly on a lot of things. And they're, I don't know. I mean, I feel like this, like Google, Amazon, all the giant, giant, giant companies, it's the same thing as like, say, the Bell system in the US. It's just like going to become big monopolies that are eventually going to somehow be broken down or someone's going to try to break them down. But it's going to be very difficult too because this is even more massive now than the Bell system or any of the other big corporate monopolies that were busted um, or ever could dream of. Oh, yeah. It's all about holy chat. Also, I find it interesting. Sorry, there's, I just had a question. Um, I don't know if you guys can remember Scroogle from a few years ago, but shut down. Um, I wonder if there's other search engines out there that act as a proxy to Google and, and will actually forward like Dogpile or one of those multi-search engines. Yeah, it's called Bing. With it. Yeah, but I mean, I want to get the actual Google results without feeding data to Google. Um, and that's what Google did. And I, right now, it's just getting to Google on Tor is tricky enough or through a proxy. Um, so I wonder if there, there must be some other kind of proxy search engine out there that, that feeds and collates Google search results. Yeah, I'm not sure. It's definitely a good oh. idea for any adventure viewers out there. I guess DuckDuckGo kind of does that, but I, I doubt they've got like a relationship with Google and an API key. Maybe they do. I don't know. Dogpile still exists. 
Yeah. <laughs> also, uh, I find it interesting. This is coming out of the EU, right? Right on the heels of GDPR. It seems like they're really, uh, really, really, really pushing a lot of uh, cyber issues currently. Uh, look how much damage Facebook has sustained in the last year or so. Uh, their brand is just poisoned now. Um, Google's next, I think. I mean, Google's closer to the Five Eyes relationship. So maybe they get a bit of a free pass. But... Yeah. When, when Google now is built into the infrastructure of most people's communication devices, when if you accidentally say, okay, Google, your phone just lights up, or if you are just happen to be you know, trying to search something on your phone, it'll automatically open up in Chrome or, you know, there's so many different things where Google is just a part of people's lives. It's just like most people, I feel like, will become the same way they do with Facebook where most people will just say, well, screw it. I use it all the time. Um, I'm not going to really stop. Like, these are where all my friends are. This is where I get my news, where I get my, my minion uh, memes to share. <laughs> do, you, uh, do you guys have actually a lot of that um, Facebook advertising out there, like fake fake news is not our friend, um, data misuse is not our friend? Is that oh, it, like on the side of buses and shit? In Sydney, it's everywhere. I saw 10 ads from Facebook in one day on bus shelters and, and billboards all about yeah, Facebook dude. saying, we're, yeah. we're taking this seriously. We're changing. We, we're listening. They, they I, see, a, see, blitz. I see 10 on my trip into the city on one, one tram line. It's funny, like, the only time I've Has there ever uh, been an occasion in history where companies had to, like, spend millions advertising, hey, we're not creepy? <laughs> it's, it's 1984, it's, it's absolutely unprecedented, and it's, I think, I think, I hope young people are too cynical to, to take it seriously. seriously. They'll just go, yeah, fuck, fuck Facebook, yeah. it's over. The irony is they're using it for censorship. Take a story that maybe is true and then do embellish upon the story and then do reverse journalism on it, taking and focusing on the elements that they made up added to the self and then we'll make it fake news filter it out. So it's being used as censoring already. That's exactly how like conspiracy theory like trolling works, right? You just you take something yeah. a little bit that's something's a little bit real and something that the person believes and then you mix it all up and Throw some bullshit in there. And so very, very easy. To convince people that Facebook is, is the reason that all the bad stuff's happening in America right now because of Donald Trump, it's very easy to make that kind of um, <laughs> to slander Facebook in that way. Say, hey, you don't like Donald Trump? Facebook got him elected. So, you know, if you're a, if you're left wing, you should leave Facebook. That's a massive blow. I can't think of anything in history that's that's been such a PR disaster as this from a privacy point of view. Yeah, very true. Um, Maybe Equifax, but they're still doing okay. But. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Equifax uh, doesn't rely on users, though, right? Like, they just kind of I feel like they kind of exist outside of, like, they're not like, necessarily like a super public-facing product. Yeah. No, they're like they're data harvesters by tra everyone knows exactly what Equifax does. It's just that, that the fact that somebody else could access to their data, yeah. the fact that Equifax already collects and makes money from that data is no secret at all. We we all know that, but um, it's and and hackers knew that about Facebook too, and we knew that about Google too. It's just the general public is starting to get the message. 
Yeah. It's definitely a case of choose the lesser evil. And, you know, the way that I see it is that right now I feel like Google is my lesser evil. That might change, but. Yeah, who knows? Um, yeah. Uh, so, speaking of data, I guess, collection and, and harvesting and dumps, um, this one about Singapore's uh, largest healthcare group got, getting hacked was interesting as well. It's just another line of, of people uh, just breaching healthcare data. It's in every single country, as you were saying before in a chat DNZ earlier. Um, just, I don't know. Yeah, this is just Singapore's turn, and who's next? Right? It, I mean, it just, uh, it's the, I know that there's a lot of people, a lot of great people who work on, on healthcare um, security, but it just seems like there needs to be some sort of massive, like, sea change in the way that the security posture actually goes with people's medical records. The, there was some kind of event that led to the creation of HIPAA or enforcement of it in the U.S. as a regulation. We yeah. don't really have that here, but we have some kind of standard, but it's it's like state based. It's not a federal standard. Uh, but yeah, I can't, so what was what was the incident that led to the creation of HIPAA? Was there one really big one, like OPM I mean, or something? I, I don't know actually. Um, I mean, that's the other thing too is that there's very like there are different regulations in different countries for how data is supposed to be processed, handled, and other things, um, especially confidential data, and it just sucks where. People take great pains to protect this data in the way that they would, like, say, like your doctor, you know, the U.S. isn't going to be able to go and talk about you specifically and, and um, you know, talk about, you know, what weird diseases you have or something. Um, so it's, it's, but then the fact that that information is there's just a complete backdoor to it in a lot of different cases, it's just, I don't know, it's something that just has to be addressed soon. You got you, you heard about the um the Australian government's got this my health record thing. You guys are probably talking about it earlier. Yeah. Where they, they want everyone to like if you don't want the government to sell your health records to corporations and insurance companies and anyone that's willing to pay for it, click here to opt out and give us all your information. And the site that they set this shit up on was running like WordPress with standard vulnerabilities. So yeah. the confidence yeah. in this country, the confidence that the government is is uh, not going to lose all of our health records is is like zero percent right now. Not not just to mention as well, like directly before that, we had um, Medicare lookups were being sold. I think we talked about it sold on the dark web for thirty bucks a pop. So you can target a single person, thirty bucks a pop, bang, health records done. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I can't go into details, but I've been getting a lot of um, requests lately from insurers and health related providers in this country that are starting to like throw money into their next year budgets for security stuff we're getting a lot of interest all of a sudden yeah it's good in a way um definitely hoping the more follow suit and actually care um yeah um, i think it's just in general like if you're an attacker you're looking for who has like the most information and who like companies that are not cyber native, right? And like any of those people are going to be like, huge targets. And so yeah. until something happens, it's it's going to keep happening this way. Did you guys um, see that Optum is now uh, forming like a business to business relationship with insurance companies 
so that they can um, opt them actually as a, a kind of a health insurance provider in the States. It's really big. And um, so they're forming it with the life insurance folks so that they can um, go through and make predictions and then adjust the cost of insurance, uh, life insurance policies based on the medical insurance data. That's horrible. It really is, especially because it's our insurance company. <laughs> yeah, self-talks. Yeah, it's creepy. They, they also um, they also tap into the um, prescription records, so it's all across the board. It's everything from the drugs you take to the diagnoses that you've had. That's really yeah. interesting as well, because like if you if you look at the way um, a lot of medicine is prescribed, where doctors get kickbacks, um, you might potentially be put on something for primarily used for one bad disease, but also secondarily used for a, a much lesser case. And if that's the only information provided to the um, insurance company, they could assume that, hey, you must have cancer or you must have you know, something like HIV or something. Um, I mean, I don't know if those drugs are used for anything else, but I know, you know, there are some out there that are. And they might just go, worst case scenario, you're not getting any insurance now because we just assume that you have cancer or something, you know. Yeah, it's, it's really creepy, especially if they then start correlating, um, you know, genetics in terms of just like uh, diseases that are passed on through the family. And so now they Absolutely. can... This, this is this is eugenics 101 like a hundred years ago proto-nazis were writing shit about how to do this on a mass scale to a whole population and now it's just normal it's it's literally eugenics that's literally what eugenics means and that's what's this is, the whole white power thing this is exactly this is going to be an episode of star trek where they uh, start the eugenics wars like irl yeah you notice so, there's no native no there's no Native Americans in Star Trek. There is, but they live on in somewhere else. Uh, so before we get into uh, really off topic, um, <laughs> let's talk about uh, this one is uh, interesting. We kind of saw some of the updates about this. Um, so Nintendo sues um, a bunch of different ROM sites for uh, copyright infringement. And there's giant, giant lawsuits. It took down uh, loveroms.com and loveretro.co for copyright and trade infringement, uh, trademark infringement. Um, and so those sites are just shut down now. And I don't know. I, the, the whole debacle, I guess, with Nintendo trying to um, figure out what to do with people who, you know, store ROMs of 30-year-old games, you know, games that are not available unless you pay up exorbitant amounts of money on eBay to find one of these rare existing copies that somebody is actually uh, um, sharing or trying to sell. Yeah, I mean, I just I think that this whole thing is uh, really crazy to get just taken down. Yeah, well, this comes like they have been doing this sort of thing for like a couple months now because they released, of course, the NES Mini in the SNES Classic or whatever, whatever they were. And at that time, when they're doing that, they released or they sent a bunch of takedown requests to ROM sites to take down copies of the ROMs that were being released on those platforms. Um, yeah, which is which is interesting that they're they've kept doing it now. 
um, even after the release of those things. Well, they probably were able to show that they had some sort of power um, from a legal standpoint of these people. Because I mean, you see it on a lot of ROM sites. You know, this this is on these are here, but they're trying to skirt around the law by saying this is here only if you have an original copy of this game. This is just for backup. And I mean, what's what's what sucks is like there are games in you know specific types of media that is being that is you you will lose it. It will degrade over time. Like especially um, CDs and discs, like you know, laser discs, you know, wear out, and you know, ROMs can can uh, also like ROM chips themselves can degrade, and uh, connections can get messed up, and it's like it. Well, like there's no, I don't know. It's, it's a very weird territory to me. But there was there was a very similar case with um, like the Mame emulation scene with Neo yeah. Geo and their ROMs. Uh-huh. I don't remember what happened, but. Eventually, I think Neo Geo lost and Hackers won. <laughs> yeah, I believe you can, um, you can get every ROM now, and Neo Geo is not an issue, so they just openly traded online. I, I think as well with like um, poker machines, you can get poker machine ROMs and stuff like that, um, which are obviously oh, not legal because you don't own a poker machine, or you don't own the software even if you do own a poker machine. Right. Like a sl- like slots, right? Like just yeah, but yeah, there would right. be there would be weird collectors and stuff that collect old poker machines and and dump ROMs just like in the main world, or you know, the pinball world, they do that. Uh, but I'm sure yeah. aristocrat gaming uh, have got will send goons to your house if they discover. <laughs> I send stormtroopers to your house. I can guarantee without uh, yes, that does happen. That is real. They will send goons to your house and they will yeah. hurt you. So, with one of the other things now, um, Herma has shown me this, and I wasn't sure if this, or I, I didn't see the actual article for this, but also uh, some of the ROMs that the, were used on the uh, re-release consoles, like the mini NES and stuff like that, were actually just ROMs that were from ROM sites. So there were, there were people that found, um, we have to find the link for that, um, the, <laughs> head, um, the headers that were used by a specific type of, of software. Um, by a group that distributes ROMs um, was found in this data after they dumped the ROMs on the little mini NES. So Nintendo themselves didn't even have backup copies of some of this stuff, and they're just, you know, for ease of convenience or for just, you know, laziness. Out of necessity. Um, out of necessity. Yeah, out of necessity, not just laziness. Um, also used ROMs of games that were being um, put and distributed for sale. Yeah. I mean, it's it's yeah. super ironic and it's super funny, right? Because like, oh, we don't have any of our own stuff. Let's download the stuff from people who have pirated it and then issue takedown requests to those people. Yeah, I mean, I think with, with um Nintendo Japan specifically, though, they're like the super strict company, but that's they're not the same. Like, they're, they're child companies or whatever. Or like Nintendo Australia for APAC and um. You know, like Nintendo US and whatever, and EU. There's like all, all different. It's like they're all different companies that they they share the same parent. But I believe that like only Nintendo Japan is like the super strict one. So if the yeah. Mini NES or something came out of like Nintendo US, like I wouldn't be surprised at all that they're using. You know, that some some guys like God damn, I can't find, I can't get this cart. Oh, I can't dump it. Oh, I don't know how to. Oh, there's a ROM right here in front of me. Yeah. Now, it's just like, I don't know, it's interesting. Um, but, I mean, it's this is something that I think we'll see more of. Um, I mean, ROMs are... 
it's make it or break it for the company. I mean, they lost their ass the last systems really, and they're doing really good on the system like now the Nintendo Switch. Uh, I mean, their systems the already pwned, but they've turned it around. They said that that Tegra chip hackable or not unpatchable. unpatchable. They figured out a way to actually patch it. Yeah. 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 Wait, so they, I they, think find the, that? they coded the debug, um, what's it called, the debug switch chip? The X something. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. Team, uh -huh. team execution. Yes. Well, that's interesting. But yeah, I, just, I feel like this is going to be something that we're going to see more of in the future um, of targeting, you know, I mean, we're talking to Jason Scott. Um, about archiving and things like that. And it's, you know, people uploading ROMs to archive.org and things. But I mean, there's definitely different postures on stuff, but I mean, we're, you know, as the software is getting older and older, you know, there needs to be some sort of, uh, you know, future backups that are going to be. There's also like um, some, some, some hack ROMs, I'm thinking specifically of like Street Fighter 2 Champion Edition arcade machines. Um, there, there are some games that become so popular that just start with one guy modifying a ROM and then it spreads and then people start building their own boxes and machines and stuff that it becomes part of the actual gaming culture. Like it's a major game. Yeah. yeah. Neo Geo's a... name on it, or Nintendo's name on it, and, and it's modified. But for the sake of completeness, for historical completeness, they're going to have to just say, well, yeah, it's an unofficial but kind of official. We didn't, we made 90% of this ROM. Yeah. It. I mean, super that's a popular. Pokemon thing, right? Like, as well, you probably played those. Pokemon Uranium? No, I'm saying, like, you, you probably know a little bit more. I think you played some of those uh, Pokemon hacks from the GBA. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I've, I've played a bunch of different ones that, that people have done. I mean, I think it's it's awesome. People, they also, Nintendo is very, very strict about how they how people handle ROMs and how people, you know, there's no, there's no fair use. They have a very strict... And straightforward copyright thing you cannot use this for any reason um but i mean people who you know grow up loving a game i mean i i've written like you know tools to like disassemble you know game boy games and like be able to like put my own stuff in there and play with it and it's like that's what's just fun when you're you know grow up and you spend uh you know your formative years playing a video game and then you grow old enough to have the skills to be able to take it apart and make it do what you want to do it's just like i don't know i feel like they should let people do that one interesting thing as well is that abandonware is totally a thing in PC land from games of the newer than these ROMs that we're talking about. Like, ab mm -hmm. like abandon, abandonware, you just download and play game, like, whatever. The only difference is Nintendo, like, is still alive. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the centralization of the platform, right? Like, one large central platform versus, you know, computer. Yeah. I mean, also, there's, like, as we were saying before with, like, Google, um, people just getting used to certain things. I mean, people are just used to now, if you want to find some really old, like, SNES game and you just want to play it because you had it when you were a kid, it's, it's $400 on eBay. People are just used to, like, okay, I'll Google that and then just get the ROM file and then you can have it. It's just, I don't yeah. know. I feel like ROMs are pretty, like, ubiquitous, even among people who aren't, like, you know, computer people. Yeah, as well as the console hacking scene, like one of the first homebrew that usually like homebrew apps that comes out on almost every console is always the emulator for the other games, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Also, I feel like 
I feel like all of these ROM sites should really just switch to having torrents of these tiny files, right? You could have that defense where you're not actually hosting content. Yeah, definitely not hosting the content. I, yeah, like there's been, I think it was um, like Xbins and places like that. They still have, oh, I mean, I don't know if still, but the last time I bothered to look at it, it was still um, XDCC bots on IRC. Yeah. So like you want to get, oh, you want to get the, uh, you know, the, the, the application that you use that if you have the hardware to like flash, it's part of the Xbox or something. Like you, like you, you know, original Xbox. Like, oh, you still need to go to IRC, and you know, and you look in the folder, and it's still like it's like got like the PS3 tools in there, and still whatever PS4 stuff. Like, yes. So yeah, I don't know. We'll definitely see some more of this in the future. Um, Faith, actually, I was reading. I, I posted the article that you had sent me earlier today. I I didn't get a chance to put it in the show notes, but it's in Voiceless Voice. Um, this is about evil made. Um, firmware attacks uh, using USB debug. I don't know if you had any uh, comments on that. Yeah. Uh, is MG here? We were quickly just talking about it before the show started, and I didn't catch the last thing he sent me. Yeah, I'm, I'm here. What are we, uh, what are we chatting about? Talking <laughs> about evil made thing. Yeah, USB debug, uh, firmware, flash, yeah. Intel. That one was pretty cool. I haven't looked into it too deeply, but it looks like a really fun thing to tinker with. It's, it's effectively the same as having like ADB interface enabled on an Android device. So th I guess this is probably relevant for um, everyone going to DEF CON because the, or in Las Vegas in general, because after the, the, the shooting with um, the country and Western thing, um, they changed, uh, which, I can't remember which hotel group it was. I think it might've been, um, I'm not gonna speculate, you can Google it. But uh, the, they, they changed the laws about uh, the laws, the rules about um, the do not disturb sign on the on the door of your hotel. So the maids will come in and check your actual uh, like they, even if you have do not disturb at some point, they'll be checking your hotel room um, depending on where you stay. So that's just interesting to know for everyone who's heading to Las Vegas in a couple of weeks. Yeah, a lot of evil maids in Vegas. That's for sure. <laughs> I, I do recommend uh, checking out something called like a, a soft safe, for instance. Uh, pretty much anything. It may not be like a hard security and prevention, but at a minimum, it gives you tamper evidence of you know the, the small perimeter you have around your electronics, which would be very valuable. That's really cool. To be um, fair, I, I don't think anyone's really going to be a nation state target. So, um, you know, calm down. Paranoid. On the USB debug interface thing, um, I, I only glanced over it, so I'm not sure whether uh, Apple products are affected, but I assume yes. You yeah, can do anything to anything that you have direct access chip. Some some are harder to get out than others. Probe. Yeah. Is it just USB, USB 3, like USB-C? Yeah, and even DMA. The evil made attack, still. JTAG yeah, this, this this specific vulnerability that was that was raised like today, yesterday, um, where we could actually we could embed a payload into a US like a bad USB cable or a charger, like MG's charger, um, mm -hmm. and and just flash firmware level directly to the. It's DMA. It's yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a DMA DMA attack done through low stub and 
you know, all the way up. So is the problem that this is, this is like a debug flag that's been left on by default by certain OEM vendors? It's how DMA works. And then whenever you turn your computer on, like a laptop starts out. And yeah, I know. This, low, specific, low sub this, specific, this specific vulnerability, though, that was, that, that's been linked in the chat. Um, I mean, I think it all stems from the DMA stuff, but I think it really matters. Um, like, this might be one vulnerability, but I'm sure it's not unique. Like, just looking over it, and um, uh, my little, like, experience with with uh, EFI, like, EFI is basically going to have your, like, your entire, so replacing your BIOS, your previous BIOS, is, like, an in, almost an entire, like, micro OS that boots prior to your PC, right? So... That's what they're flashing. That's what they're attacking. You can, you know, uh, Snare did a lot of work on this, and that's the same thing that came out of, um, if you read uh, Hoax, HO.AX, he has a, a bunch of blog posts. And um, that was what came out in, like, the NSA dumps was the, you know, uh, DMA stuff, EFI stuff, oh. like, all fighting together. So uh, what, what are the odds that there's actually a, uh, in the NSA playset, there's actually a code word for this? Describing this exact oh. attack that just yeah, hasn't, I, we just haven't figured out previously. Yeah, there's definitely this is definitely would be in there. Like CV twenty eighteen is probably CV like fucking twenty twelve. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna have to go back and check through the uh, the list of DMA related USB related code words and see which ones haven't haven't come to light yet. So, so look up, actually look at the Thunderbolt stuff because that's where it started. But it's the same thing. It, well, not the same thing, but it's very close. Awesome. But yeah, um, if I need more resources about this or if anybody does any projects or finds anything cool, just let us know and we'll share it in our show notes. Um, so it's 10.27 here now. Um, I think that maybe we should start doing our talk on hacker parents or with hacker parents about raising kids. So this is something that um, you know we've been interested in um, talking about. And actually, it's Hermit that, that had wanted to ask people this question, um, and I thought it was a really interesting point of just you know how do you know people like us, people who are able to talk about you know all the various topics that we talk about have the, the skills and the knowledge and, you know, different sort of uh, perspectives that we've, we've built over the course of our lives. When you finally have a kid and you are faced with the responsibility of bringing a new person into the world, you know, I feel like there's, there's so much, I mean, I don't, have, I don't personally have kids, but I know that there's so much, way more than I can conceive that goes into the sort of, you know, existential crisis that you must have. And when you have the level of knowledge even like we consider the burden of knowledge about, you know, the evil things that can happen with technology that can hurt kids and, and compromise their data and, you know, uh, exploit them in some way. I mean, I feel like it's definitely something that now more than ever is is really, really scary. I mean, we see lots of things that target little kids. We see um, we see really, like, messed up stuff, like uh, like with the, you know, things targeting kids with like apps and videos and trying to show them like scary stuff or, you know, Dude, I've definitely like, I remember this like time that this, when this topic was coming out this week where like, you know, I don't know, were you guys big on ICQ? 
No. Or you guys had AIM. Yeah, okay, AOL. So we we didn't really do AOL, but I remember this time in ICQ and like this, uh, I got a really weird message where someone was telling me about their nipples and I was like, literally had my age in my ICQ, right? So thinking back, like I obviously didn't, res- like I didn't respond, I didn't do anything, knowing, like, because I knew a little bit, but like it was kind of like, whoa, was that person, thinking back, was that person like, you know, hitting me up? And was, was that, a, that was obviously an adult, you know? Yeah. So, and there I mean, was nobody around to say anything at the time. It was just, you know, there was no knowledge about this. Yeah. And so, I mean, we, it was a huge frontier, new frontier, and we were all younger, something that our parents maybe didn't have any experience with. But then now, when we have, you know, just literally like the entire Earth's content at our fingertips, and little babies that are less than a year old have the whole world content at their fingertips and on their parents' uh, iPad and, and whatever. I mean, I, I just feel like it's it's something that a lot of people just don't know how to actually address. And, and everybody has opinions on it. Everybody comes and talks about it. But I really wanted to ask some of our parents here about what they um, what they've experienced. So um, actually, Jamie, hi, do you want to say hi real quick? Hi, real quick. Hi, <laughs> hi I'm Jamie. Thanks hi. for having me on today. Oh, absolutely. Yes, yeah, so you actually wrote a really awesome write-up, and I'm, I'm going to post it in the chat here. Um, oh, cool, thanks. So, or I'll post it in the Twitch chat. Um, but maybe we could lead off with what you are kind of or summarizing what you um, have written about and kind of just things that you would want to share, and then we can kind of uh, open it up to some more people um, after. Yeah, of course. Um, so I'm a hacker and a mom, and uh, my husband is also a hacker and a dad. And so uh, we, I think what you mentioned was really good about how you see things out there that other people who don't know this world don't see, like the collection of your personal information and the value of your identity. And that's one thing that we've really tried to get across with our kids, uh, especially because kids' technology collects so much information about them. Even from the very first time they set this up, uh, you know, they'll get some kind of a device that's internet connected, and that device wants to know everything about them because it wants to customize the story and to customize the experience to that particular kid. So we'll ask them things like, oh, do you have a pet? What's your pet's name? What's your best friend's name? What's your favorite color? And it's building this dossier about the kid you know, for a a probably very interesting experience to a five-year-old. But we really don't know how that information is protected or what that information gets used for on the back end. So we've kind of talked to our kids about um, using secret identities. That's how we frame it with them. Um, When you get some kind of a new device or some kind of a new account, just think about what are you, what do you really need to tell this device about yourself and what kind of things do you need to protect you know like should you give it your real name no we're not really comfortable with that should you give it your real age and your birthday no not that either um so we challenge them you know it outside of the arm's reach of the device because once the device is in hand it's almost a little bit too late but before you set this up like what is your story going to be? You know, what's your, what's your fake name going to be? Where are you from? You know, Hey, you know, maybe you have two dogs instead of one dog. Maybe you have this and that. And then once they come up with that story, then they can, they can get in and build that profile on their device. That sounds like fun. That sounds like making it OPSEC fun. Yeah, I think it is. And we kind of have fun of like, 
oh, so, you know, your name is Zanzibar. Or, you know, where are you from? And they can kind of make these, these wild stories. And honestly, <laughs> it's something that I do with my accounts too, partially because I like to protect my identity. But it's kind of funny to see what, what algorithms will do. Um, I had to sign up for a Pinterest account for some reason at one point in time. So I told it that I was, you know, some guy named Larry from Cleveland and I was a plumber and I had a certain age. And the things it recommends you is like, oh, do you like beer? Do you, are you interested in sandwiches uh, and, and mustaches? And I was like, well, that's, that's pretty funny. <laughs> it, it is interesting that you're kind of teaching them and preparing them, like creating fake profiles is something you're going to have to do for the rest of your life. So you better start learning it right now. Yeah. <laughs> and like, ask, why do they need this information? Why do they, why do they need that? I don't think that's something that adults ask often enough, you know, we get a piece of paper and everything's asking for your social security number and people figure, Oh, well, they asked for it. So I should put it down. Um, we, uh, my, my husband has some kids and I have some kids and we got married fairly recently. Uh, so we took our youngest to go get our marriage license. And as I was filling it out, my youngest looked over and he went, mom, there's a lot of personal information on that piece of paper. Do you think they're going to take care of it? And I was like, Oh my God, I love you so much right now. <laughs> Aww. Yeah. It worked. He knows. <laughs> I find, sorry, I was just going to say, like, I, I think it's like a lot of parents uh, during the Facebook hype boom were like, you know, when they'd have a newborn and they'd make a Facebook for their kid, like straight mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. It's like the exact opposite of that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, I feel like in this, this fight to keep my kids' personal information secure, one of my biggest enemies is actually their grandparents. And I love them, but gosh dang, the grandparents will post anything and everything on Facebook and boy, if it's a toy or something that's internet connected and they're like, but it has apps on it. And I'm like, all right, well, let's talk again about, you know, how your identity could be misused and do we trust people that are collecting all this information about kids? I mean, it was only a couple years ago where one of those kids toys companies uh, was breached and a lot of kids' personal information got out there. And that could be, that, that as a parent is terrifying. Yeah, I mean, we, we've talked about this before and there's been, before we used our podcast, obviously many stories that we've, we've brought up in, in like, you know, our IoT security stuff and, and other things where there's, you know, like the leapfrog, you know, learning stuff that's connected to the oh, internet yeah. somehow has like a chat client that somebody can just access like remotely or, or, or you know, baby monitors, video feeds being um, stored insecurely somewhere or somehow having a direct, you know, IP somewhere. Um, yeah, there's tons of stuff like that that, I mean, I've always wanted to know what the perspective is of a lot of people because there are some people that still subscribe to the idea that, you know, I don't have anything to hide or my kid doesn't have anything to hide, so why do we care about this thing? And it just seems like when you raise your kids, or I mean, if you live that life in general, it's already like, it's definitely strange. And, you know, <laughs> uh, but when you raise your kids with that, that mentality, but like, oh, well, you're not doing anything wrong, you know, don't do anything wrong and then you won't get in trouble or you won't get your identity stolen. I mean, it's it's like, it's, it's very, yeah, it's very outdated. It's not something that, that is applicable anymore. It's not like you're, you know, every, yeah, like every single thing that you do and every single thing that you interact with is, as you said, building a profile on you. Um, now it's just the reality of things. And it's just like, you guys have to think about how that can be used against you, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. 
Yeah. And it's hard to have that conversation with them because they're like, oh, well, what could happen if someone had my identity? And then it, it leads you into having some real conversations with your kids, but, um, that's how we protect them, right? We give them the, the right level of information for their age, but we let them know, hey, not everybody online is your friend and not everybody out there should know everything about you. Um, we want to keep you safe. And this is why we do some of the crazy stuff that we do. And then like, you know, um, mentioning earlier, making it kind of fun, treating it like a secret identity, then, then you know, you can kind of get past and, and onto building that, that fake profile in a more lighthearted way at that point. Perhaps um, we need some kind of, I guess a parallel would be like a stranger danger campaign. Uh, and I think like maybe just like you were saying a second ago, um, maybe back before that stranger danger thing happened in the 90s, I don't know when it was, uh, before that, kids were just walking around. If a stranger came up and said hello to them, then get into my car, they'd go, okay. And that was just <laughs> everyday life. There was no reason to be distrustful. But the reality of the situation was we needed to educate our kids about this stuff. Yes. Um, I, I have routinely said that in conjunction with sex ed, we also, also need a uh, sex ed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's something that, I mean, we talked about this, I think, was last week when we found that we saw that the Girl Scouts had been instituting um, badges for cybersecurity and keeping yourself safe online and going through trainings and classes and doing activities involving, you know, good, safe cybersecurity practices. And I think that that stuff is definitely really, really valuable. I think that it's, it's you know, we talk about life skills that need to be taught in school. Um, you know, like, you know, balance money and things, but definitely having a sort of elements of, you know, uh, like, how do you actually protect yourself online? And how do you, you know, what are the best practices? You know, like what you were saying before, you're starting off very young with very, very, very simplified concepts, but that can be built upon over the course of their whole life. And I think that that's just, as you're saying, also with um, gaming with grandparents, that's something that, you know, um, like older people specifically, have the, the sort of you know they have they're much more trusting which is why they also have high rates of, of scams which is unfortunate mm -hmm. but the the whole like people growing up in the in the in the small town sort of mentality where they could you know everybody knew everybody and you could trust people and and things like that you know when you get a phone call or an email you know it's like it's all in the same sort of feeling i guess you, you feel like you're just talking to somebody but you know same thing with kids and they're going online and in and, and like YouTube comments and somebody asks them, you know, what their name is and if they can make a video for them and things like that. Like people just think, oh, these are my friends. And I just feel like the distinctions that need to be made and how to conduct yourself is just something that so many people lack. And that I think that is as we, as like, uh, I guess the sort of uh, tool sets and resources develop, we need to distribute them as much as possible. Yeah, and I never loved the phrase cyber hygiene, but I think it applies pretty well in this case. Like, you would want to teach your kid to, to wash their hands, to uh, observe some of these basic practices that just get built into habits, and it's the same kind of thing that we do with them with technology. You know, you get a new device, you think about how you're going to set it up. Um, you know, we have a leap pad from several years ago, and it's got little EFF stickers over the cameras. You know, we talked about, well, why did we do that? And so now they're a little bit weirded out when, you know, like, well, grandma's, you know, iPad has the camera open. I was like, well, yeah, it's, it, it's okay. You know, we'll, we'll work towards that. 
What do you think is an appropriate age to start teaching them about uh, onion routing? <laughs> <laughs> You'd probably six. <laughs> it's really so, fun to teach like kids how the internet works, though. That's pretty fun. How do computers talk to each other? And and then here's like the really fun side of it, right? Because I think all kids are are hackers in some way. They want to know how work they want to take stuff apart they want to use things in ways that they probably aren't supposed to be used and watching that side come out of them and like encouraging them in the right way is so much fun yeah i mean that's another aspect that we wanted to bring up too is is fostering the sort of creativity and the hacker mindset in kids and it's like how do you actually do that um i don't know i think just giving them stuff to play with we went to the goodwill a while back and bought a bunch of electronics and just spread them out on the table and took stuff apart just because it was fun and talked about you know what all the pieces were for and how could you use them um we let's see what else have we done you know and and kids get interested in certain things in their own way like um we you know, the, the youngest one is probably not going to, like, you know, sit down and pop open Nmap, but we did take him to a lockpick village a couple years back, and he was fascinated. We spent hours there, and he learned how to pick locks. And so I have pictures of, like, you know, my adorable littlest child, like, picking locks at a table with a bunch of bearded dudes, and it's pretty great. <laughs> so uh, how, how do you feel just on that about taking your kids to, like, hacker cons that, like, because I know... There's been, you know, a lot of people, like DEF CON obviously has a lot of people, and some of those people are not supposed to be around children. How do uh -huh. you feel as a parent? Like, you know, do you, but yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll well, let you take it. My youngest this year asked, can I go to DEF CON with you? And I was like, um, maybe next year. There's just, I mean, DEF CON's own thing, because it's just got so many people. Um, but I know they have a kids village and maybe I'll like scope it out this year and then think about taking them next year. Um, so I'm from Phoenix and we have a, another con here called cactus con and it's, you know, it's got a couple hundred people. Um, but it is, it's got kind of a, a family reputation. They have a really great lockpick village. They've got a kid's track and we brought the kids to, to cactus con just cause we'd been there before. I think for a parent, I would just say like, go and scope it out and then like make your plan. Your plan with your kids at a hacker con is going to be very different than your plan. If you're just at a hacker con by yourself, one is that you know, you're going to have to watch them. There's just so many people all over the place. Um, and then maybe prepare them a little bit for stuff they might hear, you know, living in a house with, hackers they're not unfamiliar with profanity but <laughs> let them know what they might uh what they might experience and and have a discussion about um what curse words are and not to say them around grandma <laughs> that's really funny i mean that's another thing too that i i have wondered about is we have this so like there's so much just offensive content that it, <laughs> and like how do you actually like, address that especially with things like youtube where you're like one click away from something horrifying oh yeah we i haven't let the kids just go onto youtube until they're at a point where i know that they'll be able to to manage it youtube is its own special highway to hell and that's um yeah, um, we so actually I think this brings up an interesting point about surveillance because there's a lot of technologies that you can install on your kids' devices so you know every single packet that's coming in and out of that thing. And we've elected not to do that. 
you know, we've decided that if we're going to um, be critical of surveillance in general, that this gives the kids the wrong message, but uh, they also don't have computers in their rooms. When they're on, uh, you know, when they're involved with technology, they're, they're engaging with it, you know, like, you know, in the living room, out where we can be like, hey, what are you doing? Or that's interesting. Or like, talk to me about it. And because we've opened up those avenues of communication, they will come and talk to us about stuff. Um, my youngest came to me a couple weeks ago and said, hey, friend at their house and we were watching YouTube and some like really, you know, he said they were hilarious videos, but it was like, you know, Mickey Mouse cutting off people's heads and stuff like that. And I was like, well, that's yeah. very interesting. <laughs> Let's talk about, you know, why that is and where that comes from. But I was, you know, mildly horrified. Yeah. I mean, that's something that I've, I, I was actually talking to some parents earlier today about specifically that, like people who mm -hmm. make content that is, looks on the surface geared toward children, but then it, it just is, it, you know, it'll start off normal and then it'll just veer off into something just dramatically not normal. Um, mm -hmm. And that's something that I just, I've always wondered how people actually address because I feel like a lot of parents don't actually notice. It's super disturbing. And if you just hand your away, I mean, they'll be there in a matter of minutes. So. So that's, the, yeah, that's an interesting yeah. thing is like how, like, so uh, another hacker parent has told me that um, they limit their child's screen time because um, basically they want their, their kid to be the master of the device, not, a, you know, not the mm -hmm. device being the master of them. So like, do you feel that, uh, you know, you should, that, that your kids need to have time away from technology or is it sort of, you, yeah, how do you go about that? We like to remind them that there's a real world out there to interact with as well. So I don't have a bunch of like really hard limits, like a certain number of minutes per day or a certain number of hours per week. But we kind of do it by feel. Like, you know, if you've spent a certain number of hours in front of Minecraft and you're starting to get grouchy about it, then it's time to go for a walk. It's time to go do something else. Let's read a book. Um, but yeah, I think we you, it's going to be a challenge for any parent to balance the experiences your kid has because they can have so many experiences just with technology um, that they could they, they could end up living their whole life there. So we we do try to you know break them out of that and, and pretty good at um, at self management too. They'll come and say you know I'm I'm just tired of gaming. Um, could we go to the trampoline park and jump on trampolines? Can we go here and do this? But then when you know like a lot more about the you know. If they're on the internet, how much how much time they're spending, who they're talking to, the types of information that get collected, it, it does give you a whole other realm of things to think about. Do, do you feel as well like um like so when obviously when when we were kids like IRC and whatever was the thing and you, you had a screen name, uh -huh. um and you saw someone's screen name and you you're like oh that that's you know such and such but these days you can have an account I can create an account called you know, I don't know Peppa Pig or whatever and. Um, mm -hmm. And make that a Facebook and use the Peppa Pig thing, and then you know, do you, do you find that the kids pick up on that's probably not the real Peppa Pig, or? Yeah, they're very skeptical. They they are even at the point where you know, because we talked about bots and things, because that's been in the news a lot. They're like, oh, who knows? That may, that might just be a bot. They so they don't even take it for granted that it's a real person. Damn. That's awesome. That's that's super good. Wow. <laughs> That's what I was going to say earlier with like teaching your kids like 
to create fake names and all that kind of stuff is like not only does it teach them to stay secure but also like there's some critical thinking there that that definitely introduces like it goes beyond just the actual concept itself mm -hmm. so how do you deal with the uh, school system because they they provide devices and expect children to use their their real identity it, i feel like it kind of um institutionalizes the social networking like how 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 can you how do you deal with that so we haven't had devices provided to us but we have been given logins to online portals to do homework and things like that so i i am glad that we haven't been given devices because we would have to you know before letting my kids use that i would want to know exactly what it's doing where it's sending information what it's storing and a lot of people that create educational technology are not security people and don't seem to know any security people one thing that drives me a little bit bonkers is everything is flash everything is flash in educational technology so <laughs> they want you to use you know you must use flash and i'm like oh like do i so then i have a choice do I want my kid to do their homework or do I want to like have a protracted discussion about why flash is terrible with my, the teacher and then the principal and then whoever else, cause they are just going to be like flat out confused. So we'll, you know, use an, another computer that doesn't have anything on it and say like, okay, well this is going to be the homework computer. You can use flash on this. You cannot use mom's computer for this. Um, it was, it was kind of funny though. My youngest was, you know, in the online portal doing some homework um, and kind of clicking around and he went, oh, uh, mom, can you look at this? And I said, yeah. And he goes, I don't think I should be able to see the second grade math scores, should I? And I was like, oh, well, actually, probably shouldn't. Uh, <laughs> you get a CV for that or what? Yeah, right. So in that, you know, enhancing their curiosity and, and getting them to explore and also being like, well, there's a line that you need to watch out for. And I think you did the right thing by pointing it out to me. But um, we have had some issues with educational technology not um, not being particularly secure. There was one time I reached out to a company. They had sent a password in the clear and I was like, hey, this is really a problem. Here's why it's a problem. Um, and it doesn't give me confidence that you're keeping any of the rest of this information secure. You're like, can you get back to me on this? And to their credit, they, they took it very seriously and they remediated and they got back. And, you know, so that was, that was positive, but um, you never really know with responsible disclosure. You have to figure out how, what am I willing to, how am I willing to engage, you know, and what good is it really going to do? Do you want to hear the horror stories now? Yes. <laughs> okay. I'm trying to start. Okay. So um, up until sixth grade, um, you know, the computers were at school. on screen when they ripped out all the desktops and replaced them with iPads, um, especially because my kid had, was diagnosed with dysgraphia. So skip to sixth grade, and now it was um, a requirement to device except for it was a bring your own device and um so uh he goes off and starts we were at the same school for um five years and um basically the network was wide open and not mm -hmm. only he but essentially every other kid in the school so it was uh, middle school through high school was um online just continually all the time 
<laughs> and um, so my kid, who I did take to DEF CON when he was 12, and <laughs> cool. It was very cool, um, but you know we didn't hit any parties, but it was cool. So my <laughs> my kid um, is uh, he's really into fair, so he has to he knows everybody's gaming their hearts out, and so he games publicly, which is to um, be against the rules. So he becomes the um, example, and uh, so. Up until that point, we had also taken the high ground of um, you need to learn to self-monitor and privacy, and it's totally hypocritical for us to put shit on your computer. But at that point, he was about ready to get kicked out. So I put a bunch of monitoring stuff on his computer. I went through like 12 different programs and particularly difficult because um, it was a bring-your-own-device. I couldn't effectively um, load anything that could get past their firewall, so I was really operating kind of blind, but I um, end up with a good chunk of data. And I knew that when I exposed the data that what was going to happen was he was going to um, get detention or suspended uh, again. And so I, what I collected showed that in any given um, six and a half hour day, he was spending about 95% of his time on his computer browsing about 200 different sites. And I broke it down by exactly, you know, whether it was gaming sites or, um, you know, Imgur or whatever. And, you know, presented that and, of course, um, you know, he was suspended and I was told that I needed to take him to a therapist in Berkeley that specialized in computer usage, a computer addiction for children. And I said, yeah, no, I don't really think that's the problem. I think the problem is, is that you have, you know, your entire network wide open. You don't have any kind of filters on whatsoever. Of course, the kids are going to, you know, do whatever they want. He doesn't do this at my house. So, um a couple more times and I kept on refining the data until finally the guy who was in charge of tech came to me and said, can you please help me? And I said, absolutely, I'd be delighted to. And so spending an uh, entire semester in the summer, then, and my husband came in during the summer and we completely like reworked our entire Cisco and Meraki system. And, and up until that point, they all, that's the dog bitching at the kid. <laughs> I'm sorry. So up until that point, um, the kids and the teachers were all swamping around oh. in no on the same SSID. <laughs> That's Bella. <laughs> and um, and so we divided the SSIDs and, and what was really wild was that I had I had literally a three-day window in which we could spin everything up because they also had the place um the school it was in summer session. So there's like it's really hard working teachers are inc are incredibly addicted to the internet a good chunk of the facebook time and the youtube time and everything else was the teachers but they're also <laughs> addicted um, and i got to see all this because the castles so that i could work on the system so anyways there's only like three days when we could spin this up and the first week i had half of the teachers come up to me and hug me and a couple were crying because Wow. It was the first time that they'd had the students attend in because they couldn't get anybody's attention. Now, my kid was, he's just the kind of, he's going to die. 
It's like, yeah, you don't want me to game? Do something about your network. The other kids were stealthy. Oh, you're cutting out a little bit, Bon. Rip, Bon. Um, can you hear me now? Uh, yes, I can. Um, it was a pretty, pretty uh, dramatic experience, and and it was, um, it was a just real heartaching stuff. And so the last horror story I'm going to tell is, so the um, when I first put the because my husband refused to do it because it's against his pr principles. When I first started putting the um, the uh, mommy trackers on his computer. Um, he got so mad at me that he um, he scratched the hard disk and reinstalled Windows as oh. admin. Wow. Um, yeah, so his father was really pleased. And, and so if you're looking for how to inspire kids to hack, which all you have to do is lock them out of where they want to go to, and they'll there figure a way to get in. I think, um, I think most of us here at some point would have been banned from the internet or banned from something, and we found our way back. And that's yeah, that's what started our journey. I mean, internet used to be expensive when I was a kid, so um, yeah, we could. Yeah, I, had, uh, I had modems confiscated and passwords changed and all kinds of stuff. Didn't stop. Yeah, me we did device confiscation. That was really interesting because since we have so many devices in the house, we frankly don't keep track of them. And but my kid sure did. Uh, he could find something any place. So he'd be rifling closets, drawers, whatever. It's like, what? Where did you find that? I don't know. You know, so, yeah, so that's something else is that if you do, and when they do hit that preteen, teen era, and they're like going, you know what? Rules are made to be broken, and you can't see what I'm doing at night under the covers. Incredibly good at finding their ways onto the internet. All the kids at school, were spinning up proxies to, um, cause then once I did divide the SSIDs and then I, um, we also made it so that the, none of the cell phones could attach anymore because that was one of the other problems was they were all cruised on the cell phones. The, the kids were like shots with each other. It was, it was wild and they will attach to anything. It's like any public Wi-Fi that they can find, boom, they're on there. Um, so, yeah, so it was kind of cool, actually. We had a whole school of hackers. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that, that's really interesting. I mean, I feel like a lot of, like, I mean, that's the way that I feel like a lot of people got into stuff was trying to subvert their school's systems and subvert the parental controls around everything. Um, oh, yeah. And it's just like, that's, I feel like... <laughs> I don't know. In some ways, I mean, I, I feel like I understand people who wouldn't want to do that, but at the same time, I feel like that's what breeds a lot of really good hackers. Oh, yeah. 10-4, I totally agree. Yeah, I think when kind of some of my beginning was, you know, trying to find, like, ARP entries and using that to bypass, like, the MAC address filtering my dad would set up. Yeah, I remember uh, when I was a kid in high school, we had uh, the content, like content cop. And so I spun up a PHP proxy uh, on my home PC. And I was using that. Yes. And then other kids found out and wanted to use it. 
And so then I started catching uh, post requests. <laughs> nice. And so I had a lot of MySpace logins. <laughs> yeah, I mean, every, I think every kid wants to be the cool kid that figured out how to get Facebook working or whatever chat working on the library computer or the school computer where it's blocked or free internet, you know, in a public location. That's, that's, that's going to be starting at a younger and younger age now. Kids subverting. Controls. Yeah, there was a like we had this proxy. Yeah, we had, we had this proxy account that um was created by someone that I that was used uh like when I was in in school, and then like uh someone else I I know that went to that school who's about ten years younger than me had like this rumor. There's like this secret account that you could get around the proxies with, and I was like. Right, <laughs> like the, it was like the same yeah. account, and I was just like, "Holy shit!" I was there's a little the bit same of a shit happens in, in corporate <laughs> workplaces. People like have secret, dude. I know a way to get around the proxy at work. <laughs> yeah, I, I just had a post about that on on Twitter with my bank. Like, like, oh yeah, we can't go to some of these websites, but if we go this way, we can bypass the content filter. Yeah. Yeah, we know most security teams and stuff have like a secret proxy somewhere that's on like a a separate ADSL line or whatever. So they, their internet isn't unfil- isn't filtered by corporate <laughs> restriction because they need to do research and stuff. So they need their own line out to the internet. Um, I guess we'll probably so see that when there's out. like like as cybersecurity is taught at school. I mean, if if kids start looking up what a CVE is as like learning cybersecurity, you know, what is C like what is CWE seventy nine? Like, you know what I mean? They're gonna they're gonna Google that and then they're gonna get a whole bunch of stuff that's blocked by a filter, you know. Are you re- yeah, I don't really want MITRE involved with our education system at all, but <laughs> well, unfortunately, yeah. But I mean even stuff like I mean, imagine being a kid now and being able to have access or even at home have access to knowledge for say some router exploits and you could just go to like 192.168, like 1.1 on your school's computer and then just enable Facebook again to stop the, uh, you know, whatever you might be using. If you, you browse see the-, the darker parts of the play stores, you'll find ki- apps that are written clearly by and for kids for like proxy VPN bypass. Yeah. You know, they're written, written by 12 year olds for other 12 year olds. I mean, like, look the, at like- the- the other ones that like kids are using like booters and stuff like that's huge thing for for probably teens maybe where they're they'll just ddos yeah. the the living heck out of different players yeah so we, we actually so we actually got kind of inspired by the kids with all of this and and didn't do it but we had a, a number of ideas about wouldn't it just be so much fun to set up a, a place where the kids really could, you know, try go try and attack each other and, um, you know, see what they could learn. And so. Oh, no. Bonnie, are you still with Rip. us? Sorry. Sorry, am I here? Yeah, so we ended up we ended up doing like a Friday night maker club, and and that was um, we ended up with because there was a number of kids that were like, you know, we, can you teach me how to hack? And so, um, so what we do for Friday nights is um, uh, it was basically like we'd bring in a pile of stuff, throw it on the table, take it apart. And kids were so excited because at home they were told that was bad. And so here yeah. you have like, you know, 13, 14, 15 year old going, you mean I can take the whole thing apart? 
<laughs> we'd, um, mm-hmm. we'd uh, project um, and we'd have them do it, set it up on one of the computers. We'd project Shodan on one of the walls. And then and so we had a couple of kids that just loved trying to find open devices on Shodan. And then we'd all make up stories about what we were seeing. That's um, awesome. That's oh, that was that was That's fun. so cool. But did the school or the par- other parents freak out about that? Like, you're teaching my kid to be a dirty hacker. Like, you know, because there's this misperception that anything that you're doing in hacking, is, you know, is nefarious. Well, you know, that was the part that was kind of interesting was that by and large, with us on Fridays, we're already so on so far over the edge that their parents were actually giddy to find out that their kids had talent because they thought that they were going to be like all alone, isolated in the basement um, and unsocialized till the end of time. It was really weird. And, and, you know, like one of the kids is like this amazing, he's got like a YouTube channel. He has thousands of followers. He does like green screen stuff. His parents didn't know that that's a desirable skill. Wow. Yeah. So that was actually, that was what was really cool. You know, the kids would say, you know, I want to do this. And there's not, once they hit like 13, 14, there's not too much you can do to stop. And the parents like, okay, yeah, you know, at least there's like, you know, other parents there and it's all right. But then they'd see their kids literally transform and become these really happy people because they could do the things that they've been told all along were bad. And mm-hmm. so those parents started throwing a pile of money at us um, so that we could buy toys. So, you know, we bought a 3D printer, a hackable one. We built, we spent a whole semester building that. So it was really cool. Um, there is one thing though, that there's, so there's this in-between age. So there's little ones that will listen. And then there's the older ones that kind of don't, but they're really fun for many ways. Mm-hmm. But then there's this tween. And I don't know if you guys know Steve Board. He does 44Con. He um, found uh, regarding the YouTube videos, there's a bunch of YouTube videos, and my son's told me about it too, that are, are really horrible child porn that start like it's Donald Duck. And yeah. it's really scary. And there's a lot of that out there. YouTube is a is not the right place for kids to be browsing. So, no. <laughs> okay. um, the, uh, the topics about um, getting kids interested and just kind of getting, getting their hacker mindset involved, obviously, you know, it depends on the age groups, but I'd love to hear more. And I'll even volunteer one of my uh, examples that I, I like to kind of talk about when my kid was, I think it was right around when he was five or six. Uh, we got a Venus flytrap. Uh, they, I used the flytrap because that's a really cool thing. It's like, oh my god, a plant's eating bugs, but gets them really interested. <laughs> and I tell them how it works. You know, there's there's three little trigger hairs in there, and it it it, work, it does this uh, false positive detection. It doesn't very pro- uh, programmatically uh, approach. So you know, the, the the trigger gets hit once, a twenty second timer starts, another trigger gets hit, then the trap closes, and if three more triggers get hit. It seals and starts digesting. So you get him used to that that approach and that flow. And then there's a programming language called uh, Scratch, I believe it is. Mm-hmm. Very yeah. basic, very visual. You know, it's like building blocks of code. Uh, you get him thinking, okay, here's a Venus flytrap. 
program one and get the, the basic functionality of, you know, if loops down and then eventually start to take that and branch it over into robotics. And it's like, okay, you got the, the code that you've, you've built now. Can we control something with it? And uh, I, I, that specific example was a kind of a good way to creep into multiple different areas and retain the knowledge the whole way. So if you've got similar examples of just any other things, you know, even, even the idea of, hey, let's go to uh, the recycling center or Goodwill, get some electronics and a couple screwdrivers and go nuts. Like all of that is uh, really cool and stimulating for them. So yeah, what do you guys have? So I guess I have like a kind of an example. Um, so at one point I was, I was teaching a class and can't remember where it was at anymore, but it was kind of like Minecraft modding and whatnot. And one of the things that, that I introduced was using like some of their redstone stuff to actually build electronic circuits. Nice. And I kind of was showing them how to do that. And the kids caught on really fast and, you know, they, they all love playing Minecraft. So they knew almost all the fundamentals already. And then we moved on from that to actually building actual electronic circuits. And the kids slowly started realizing, wow, this is just like Minecraft. And when you start explaining them those same principles, they can start building some more of an electronic foundation. Nice. Yeah, taking stuff apart is always super popular. And then explaining like, oh, well, hey, here's these pieces and this is what connects over here. What do you think this part does? And what do you think that part does? Um, the scratch programming is awesome because they can just do ridiculous things in there. And I think, you know, if they have an opportunity to be ridiculous, it kind of keeps them in there a little bit more. Yeah. yeah. So one of the, one of my things that we've I've really struggled with is um, not everybody's a coder. Like we yep. tried scratch. Yep. It's interesting scratch, you know, it was, it was really devastating for my husband because the firstborn is 40 and, and um, he was like born to code and we did our first product together when he was 11 years old. And, you know, it, the, other, the other one isn't like this. Um, so I came to like Shodan was like, that was, and then where we um, had success was like TV be gone was that that's a fun thing to make and, and <laughs> yeah. use yes. especially in vegas <laughs> yep. he was turning off all the monitors in the lobby at the hotel um, yep. <laughs> uh, the other, that's a, that's a really yeah. good point and i think a lot of people miss it is that uh, a given topic doesn't really attach to every kid in the same way, but there are multiple ways to get a kid into something. Uh, maybe it's later in their life, maybe it's a different approach, but that's uh, it's, a, it's a really important thing you're putting down. Well, that, that, I think that's a really super good point is that, and I, I think the hard, I just try, I tried so hard to get the girls involved in the Friday nights and they, it was. I was lucky if I could get one to come in for like 15 minutes. I did everything. I wore blinky <laughs> shirts. You know, it's just they weren't there. And I don't think that means that they're, they'll never be there. It's just they're into something else. And so I think just even having a modicum of exposure when they're younger helps. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Maker Fair 
is um, Maker Faire is a really great place to try and to find their interests because they may not be lock pickers, but they may definitely be into, you know, like that. And so that helps. And I, of course, I love the plant analogy. Yeah, right. Exactly. Where did you even get a Venus flytrap? Um, there's, you can actually find them in places. I, when I lived out in the Midwest, they'd pop up in like Walmart and stuff, but uh, wow. I'm over uh, San Francisco Bay area and there's a few shops around here. You, you can actually get them on eBay and Amazon and other shops like that too, if you want to. Okay. Well, okay. now I definitely want to be obsessed with this. Yes. One. This sounds awesome. No, no, exactly. And, and to articulate how that works a little bit more, um, just so you can uh, convey the same flow. There, there are three trigger hairs inside of them, and mm -hmm. uh, there's an el uh, electronic-like uh, chemical reaction that happens when, when a hair gets hit. And uh, yeah, there's, there's multiple stages of detection, so it doesn't use all its energy on something that's not actually a bug. Really cool. Nice. So I wanted to ask you guys, um, what are some of the concerns that you have specifically with, if you could like, I guess, name, we kind of talk like more broadly, but I feel like if you have any specific concerns that you might have for just your kids in general online, um, like what are some of the things that you are, I guess, the most wary of or cautious of? <laughs> I, uh, well, it, it, personally, uh, I think an interesting topic that kind of kind of connects to that, maybe we can save it for later, is the reality that some of us um, have to pay attention to our tax surface. And reality is our kids are an extension of our tax surface. And mm -hmm. we invite them onto our trusted networks with us and with a lot of devices that are persistently around us. I would love to hear a lot of parents talk about how they address that. Yeah, I think we should actually talk about that. That's, that's a much more uh, interesting thing. I, I was, I remember that you had mentioned that before, and I was like, "Whoa, that's actually a very good point." <clears throat> it's a very big subject, kidsick, or uh, yeah, I don't know what you'd call it, but especially yeah. as they grow up and they want to have their own personality and they want to be out right? there like with their own self online, and yeah, you can't, you can't keep them hidden forever. Yeah, but, you know, somebody that wants to get at, at you uh, can mm -hmm. go through your spouse or your children. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, when I'm doing pen testing, um, the children of the CEO are usually not in scope. I've argued yeah, exactly. for it, but they don't let me do it, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, it would be a very easy conduit to go after, like, a child's device um, as a way yeah. to get into the home network. Yeah. Interesting. There, w there was a case where um, a CEO of a company that I won't name said, uh, I don't care, you won't find anything that can hurt me, go ahead and hack mm. me whatever you want to their, to their internal security team who were just like, lol, okay. And um, one of the things <laughs> they got to was like where where their parent, uh, sorry, where their children go to school, where the children are picked, like what time the children arrive, what bus they get, where they get picked up, you know, from at the school, like who picks them up, all that kind of stuff. So that's definitely, you know, a tax surface type stuff. As like yes. Taken, the start of the Taken. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Films. It's a whole different level than I was even thinking. Well, yes. <laughs> yeah. I have, a, I have a dilemma where I think um, – I don't have kids, but if if I was raising a hacker kid, um, you know, I mean, like uh, 
to have the kind of thug-like criminal mind stuff that we talk about on this podcast a lot <laughs> um, rather than the, the hacker, tinkerer, engineer kind of kid. Um, at what point do you draw the line? Like if your child uh, bypasses one of your restrictions in a clever way, but they're still subverting your authority. Like how do you get angry or do you get proud? Like, <laughs> I don't know how to deal with that. <sighs> I, I, I personally believe in but, setting those barriers up to be a contest or most like, you know, an internal CTF. It's like, Hey, if you can find a way around <laughs> it, but you, your, your question, there's a little, another step further is what if you actually become aware of your kid legitimately breaking laws or even potentially you're not aware and they, you know, they're creating evidence that, you know, gets you rated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it gets you <laughs> like, Oh, the hacker known as MG. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like, oh my God. <laughs> at, at one point when we had the faded sixth grade, um, he was downloading, uh, games from China. I, I swear to God. <laughs> Oh, that's, oh man, I don't have answers. I'm a parent and I don't have answers. <laughs> and I, this is, this is a new area. Nobody's got an answer. Like it's, it's yep. new territory. I feel like yeah, that kind of cat I, and mouse can, can, I, totally sums up parenting. Say, yes. From my personal experience, I can remember walking out of a police station with my dad after spending hours talking to feds after being raided. And, and the first thing I got to say to my dad without p p police being there, um, I said, so what do, you, what do you think? And he went, well, it sounds like you know what you're doing. So uh, <laughs> yes. good luck. <laughs> good luck. I hope, I hope it goes well for you. Um, yeah, let's, yeah, let's go. And that I was it. Like, he, he wasn't mad. He wasn't. He didn't really know how to process it. I think there's a lot of times where I guess most people would like around sort of this age group would have been like, "Oh, I'm so proud of what I've just done. I want to show my parents." And they'd be like, "You show them something," and they'll just be like, "I have no idea what you're talking about." Yeah, like or well, they know, you know exactly what you're talking about, and you're afraid they're going to call the police on you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just got a shell on the on NASA, Mom. I'm twelve. <laughs> yeah. What if your kid comes up and says, "Hey, I know a way to get uh, free pizzas from Domino's." Uh, <laughs> and you're hungry, I would be okay right? with that. You're kind of hungry, but you've got you know ethical dilemma. <laughs> but are you proud of the kid for you know, or do you say, "Show me"? I want to know. That's bad, yeah. but give me the show. Your POC. <laughs> It's like I haven't been to the supermarket for the last couple of days. Uh, maybe Domino's for dinner tonight? Yeah. <laughs> Good thinking, kid, but you need better pizza. Let's order something. So, Cal Doc, you had mentioned uh, in the chat that you, you wanted a younger person's mindset on this. Um, what, do you have anything to say about what we were talking about here? Um, I don't know. As depends on if anyone has any questions from a child's mindset because I can kind of help. I mean, do you, um, I guess, growing up now and where you are and what you're doing, uh, you know, you know, you're talking here, we see what you're, what you're up to. Do you feel that your, 
parents, I guess, are supportive of how you are, what you're doing? In a way, yes and no. Uh, depending on the parent, um, I don't know. I grew up in more of a mindset where, oh, you should have nothing to hide, um, and you should just keep everything open to us type of mindset. Yeah. Which, growing up um, in that, it's quite different uh, trying to explain stuff to your parents. Yeah. No, it is. And I think that it, the, the conversations that you, everybody who has talked so far has brought up is, is really cool. And I think that, I mean, I really hope that we can share this with um, other parents just to sort of, you know, show them, like, that you shouldn't be afraid of your kid learning stuff or being curious and you should, you know, do your best. Even if you don't understand it, to just sort of accept it that they're, they're curious and they want to take things apart or they want to learn things and they might, they might get into trouble here and there, but as long as you give them, you know, good morals that you should uh, you'd raise them with, then you know, they should be okay. But I, I feel like it's, um, you know, there's so many people that grow up with the mindset that, you know, taking things apart is bad, breaking things is bad, you know, being private is bad. And that sort of thing is, you know, hurts people when they grow up. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, I think, like, for me, one of the the hardest things was, uh, like, not telling, like, my parents anything I was doing. Like, not even necessarily because, you know, we were in that kind of relationship, but it was more or less like, I, it's one of those things, like, you think you know it's wrong in some regards. Because, I mean, I'll be honest, I was a, <laughs> I was a terrible teenager. And, you know, most of the stuff I'd done on computers, like, you know, there was some stuff that I probably shouldn't have done, but it's like, they, like my parents were completely oblivious. And I mean, if I were to, to have been raided or something like that, I mean, they probably been like, what is going on? Yeah, exactly. And, and it's one of those things like you don't want your parents to be worried about you, so to speak. So like, I never told them anything I was doing. I mean, later on, you know, we've, we've talked about it, but. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of parents, I was actually going to say this earlier. Um, speaking of, of parents who are um, not aware of what their kids are doing, Vaughn, do you, does your um, gamer kids know that you're on Twitch right now? I don't know if she can hear me or not. Uh, she's muted on Discord. Wow. No, no. Oh, no. That's a great question. <laughs> yeah, they're watching right now. On me? Are you? Is that directed at me? Yeah, or it, was, it was at you. Uh, oh. you. Oh, yeah. Actually, he's sitting in the living room, like, occasionally going, Mom! (laughs) 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 Um, Yeah, and and now he's hungry. Yeah, you know, so it's a little bit different for us just because we lived through through Jason. So his oldest brother, who's um, now working for Bethesda, um, and that was like kind of his big dream is like he started, you know, he just, he loved Doom. He, he loved it. And we sent him down to um, the con when he was like, this was like 15 years ago and he was 17 years old and it sort of really got him back into coding and stuff. And so anyway, so he's now, he's now like totally legit working for like his favorite gaming company in the whole world dream come true. But when, when he was, when he was 17, I go, I, I was working for a company that, um, 
uh, was a vendor for public safety agencies. And so I go on site to a police department and I pull out my Omega disc that had all my software on it. And I plug <laughs> it in and it was filled with Jay's porn. And nice. <laughs> yeah. Dash disc. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, you know, dude, couldn't you have found something else to put that on? He's like, well, it was there. It's like it was in my drawer because I use it. So, I mean, I guess we're just a little bit different because I have worked at home so much and there have been, you know, Stevie's the second batch that it's just, um, we're pretty open um, all the way around. So, oh God, the dog, sorry. <laughs> So who was it that was uh, working on like the kind of like the maker and hacker space? Because someone was talking about it, like the kids. That that was that was us. That was me. Like, yeah, that was that was really fun. Actually, I love that. I was gonna say like to to me like that's that's absolutely awesome. I I mean as someone who like never had that available when when I was a kid, I can only imagine you know kind of in, in retrospect where I would be now if I would have had those things available, it probably would have been a, a much more positive upbringing in, in computer hacking and, and network hacking, building and, and working on electronics versus, you know, kind of being a little more shady and, and doing things that I probably should have been doing. It would have had, you know, would have given, would have given me that outlet. Well, that, that was actually one of our primary goals because we had, um, we had one in particular who was definitely headed towards the dark side and, um, you know, <laughs> It was scary, you know, and, and so we would occasionally, you know, have like, whenever it'd be like a big hack, you know, we'd start, we'd, you know, just kind of talk about it. But one of the things that, that we found is that um, no matter what the um, intended, you know, my husband would spend a lot of time planning and the plans just go out the window. If it's Friday afternoon, it's a group of kids they, you know, so much of it was we, we also just wanted to provide a social, a place where they could talk and be geeks together and ask questions. And so what would end up happening is we'd have this table filled with stuff and, you know, anywhere from six to 10 boys primarily, and every one of them would end up into something different that week. And so it was really highly chaotic and um, but very, very invigorating. And, and what would be interesting is that if um, somebody wasn't exactly confident or certain about what they wanted to do, they'd end up sitting next to me. And so I could, you know, we could dumb it together. Like, well, what happens if we do this? Oh, look, we can, you know, pinch the LEDs against the battery together and it lights up. Um, so that would give them like enough, um, you know, enough courage to like keep on poking around. And then when they get to some tough questions, they feel a lot more confident about going and tapping my husband for, um, for answers. And, but yeah, it's, um, it, it was, it was truly transformative. And, and I, I don't know how to, um, I actually really think it, it's good to bring kids to DEF CON. Um, and we actually brought one of my son's um, friends with us one year. And the next year I got a little scared though of bringing other friends because other parents aren't like us. And I 
just get worried about um, what some of the some of the crap that's in the news and then people making these assumptions. But um, DEFCON was really great for for having a kid there. But on the other hand, you know, it, you, you just got to set your sights that you're not going to be hitting the parties and stuff. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Or you're not training them to be like, uh, like psyops, like operatives, or, or wares traders, or whatever. <laughs> you know, the, be- the best talk ever was the DDoS dog. Oh, oh my God. God, we laughed so hard. And, you know, that was, if you haven't seen it, tr- look up the YouTube video on that. Because it was really super creative, really funny, and had all kinds of great information, which actually made me think of something just now. Um, Cory Doctoro books are also a wonderful way to get kids into hacking and understanding the terminology. Little Brother is a good book. Hmm. Oh, that's really awesome. I'm glad that like you're, there are parents that are, are doing this kind of thing. I mean, I was kind of somewhat expecting people to say someone along the lines of, I know what I was doing when I was a kid and I'm not going to let them do that X, Y, and Z. Um, but yeah, I definitely think this is a really awesome talk and I'm really thankful that you guys came on. Um, hopefully we can inspire some parents and, and have them look into, uh, this kind of stuff and at least not be maybe afraid of their kids. So you can, instead of saying, uh, what are you doing with those wires? It's more like, Hey, what are you doing with those wires? Like, tell me about it. Sort of mm-hmm. change the uh, intent, I guess, of the interactions. I feel like a lot of people do definitely get really scared of their kids if they get into like computer hacking or programming even in general. But um, does anybody have any final words, I guess, um, or resources or things you want to share real quick for any parents who may be listening in the future? There's just one thing I wanted to bring up just as a topic of the show that was uh, I remember reading when I was, you know, uh, in those in those high school days where there was an article advising parents if your child might be a hacker. I'm sure you guys remember this one. Like if they play too much Quake online or if they use <laughs> programs like IRC, then they, you know, your child might be a hacker. Um, and I think in this day and age, like retrospectively looking at that perspective, like, you know, it, it's, that could be a good thing. Your child might be a hacker. They're probably going to make six figures. It's yeah. <laughs> very true. Definitely. Encourage the coding. So what, right. were the, um, what were the coding languages that we were discussing before? Design for kids? Scratch. Scratch. Yeah, Scratch is a really uh, place to start for younger children. There's also the Adafruit. Um, yeah. Adafruit. Yeah, I can't remember the name of it right now. Um, but there's like a whole, it's a whole environment and um, the little, um, it comes like with little blinky boards that do a bunch of stuff. And those are fun. And then actually I have one. Here it is. It's the um, uh, Wio Link. I don't know if you guys have seen those. The Wios are pretty fun too because it's got a bunch of sensors in it and you can hook it up. You can find those on Seed. And of course, there's uh, Minecraft. Uh, Microsoft's got some kind of Minecraft code thing for kids, right? Yeah, Make the Minecraft Make Curve. And then there's also the um, the Lego robotics. I don't know if it's as 
popular nowadays. Oh, mine's home? Yeah, it's... Yeah, that was Mindstorms. Yeah. Yeah, Mindstorms were fun. Definitely. We have, we have some little, I just snuck into my son's picture of it and I composed it. Um, it's called the Rule Your Room Kit by Little Bits. And it's got these, you know, like electronic components that are mostly put together, but you can do stuff like booby trap your room and have a motion detector and all this stuff that like, you know, lets wow. them like they feel cool because they're taking control of their environment and stuff really that they're learning them, like how really you want to give them yeah. like Huey Griffin capabilities and arm their room with booby traps. <laughs> well, <laughs> They're fortunately pretty easily subverted, so. <laughs> Have you seen uh, the uh, Mr. Self-Destruct? No. Made by MD. He's got, he's got flame-throwing, motion-sensing air fresheners. I'll figure out where in the insurance policy covers that. Yes, I, I used to be really into science, like, you know, biology and stuff like that. I actually thought it would be fun to be a science teacher. And then, you know, I kind of got into computers. So there's a little overlap there. And uh, some of those things would definitely uh, get the kids' attention enough so that you kind of show them how it works. So, yeah, <laughs> destructive <Cool>. things. <laughs> Appeals to some, some kids like building sandcastles. Some kids like kicking them over. Yep. <laughs> Very true. Well, I'd say one of the other things is, you know, it on some sides of it, it might be boring, but definitely learn some of the laws. Uh, yeah, you can say laws are meant to be broken, but mm -hmm. you know, de definitely teach kids kind of the idea of you know, like consent and ideas that you know you you shouldn't be testing some of these things or or poking some of the things that don't belong to you. Uh, you know, kind of teach some of those principles because, you know, again, like those were things that, you know, had I kind of had a better foundation, like that would have helped me a lot more. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of stuff changes too, but I guess the sort of the, the whole moral like underpinning of everything is like be respectful and stay curious and just, you know, just be a good person. <laughs> Ultimately, exactly. curious. But yeah, I really want to thank everybody here. It's 11.30 here now. Um, I really want to thank everybody who came out um, to talk with us, uh, Bond, Jamie, MG. Um, we really appreciate that. I, I hope that we can, um, we, we've shared a bunch of really awesome resources and uh, we have our show notes, which I put them in the chat here. Um, you can, if you're watching on Twitch right now, you can bookmark this. Uh, I'll be adding some of the resources and, and little uh, things that we shared today. Um, to this, so for any um, parents who might be listening in the future who are curious about stuff to uh, to their kids, we'll have some awesome resources for them. So uh, thanks everybody for for coming out. Does anybody have any final words? Thanks so much. It was a blast. Thank you. Awesome. And I'm trying to figure out when you get your kids a lawyer. So next week we have um, we have Esquiring uh, Fred Jennings to talk about. Uh, Cyber law and, and the CFAA. Um, so it's going to be a really interesting episode, tying to some of the law stuff we talked about earlier. Um, we'll also be back on Sunday for our Sunday stream. So if we did get any parents that didn't weren't able to make it tonight, you wanted to come hang to, uh, on Sunday, um, you're all more than welcome. So until then, thanks everybody. See ya. Mm -hmm. Nice.